listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am caffeinated. <laughs> uh, no, it just occurs to me. Well, well, you know, but you just hear a lot these days, I find. Now, it's maybe it's one of these things like when you have a car or buy a new car or something and you see everybody driving around the same car. But I started seeing people talking about reducing caffeine intake uh, the other day. And now it seems like that's the only thing I notice in social media. And I certainly do not decrease um uh, you know, decreasing caffeine intake has not been on my agenda. And just as you asked me that question, I was downing my like 40th espresso for the day or something. <laughs> and for those who haven't been to Kula World Headquarters here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, we have a bit of an obsession with good quality caffeination um, <laughs> espresso. And you've even taken that a level further in your home setup. So, you know, this is true, but I'm, I am reminded of our accountants reaction when in our very early days of being an agency when we weren't making any money, but we decided to spend everything that we could possibly gather up from our lines of credit, I think at the time and buy the biggest espresso machine available to us. Yeah. It's about the size um, of a Toyota Yaris. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that was a land Look, we're much, we make much better business decisions now. Uh, we're much more mature, and one of those decisions was to bring today's guest onto the show. I'm really excited to kind of um, unpack this topic of kind of industry dis- industry disruption writ large, if you will. Yeah, future readiness and and kind of understanding what's coming. You know, it's not just going to happen to you, but uh, that you can actually be prepared for it. I think is just a it, it's a level of sophistication you don't often see. Man, you're going to try out a No Country for Old Men reference back there, and I'm not supposed to acknowledge it. It's really hard. <laughs> I know. Uh, seeing what's looking for what's coming. Yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Ain't nobody sees that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so joining us today is John Hayes. John is the Global Marketing Director at Banjo Liquid Handling Products. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, John. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you on the show, John. Um, why don't you start by giving our listeners a bit of an introduction to you and Banjo Liquid Handling Products. What are you all up to? All right. Yeah, I, as you mentioned, uh, I run the marketing team here at Banjo. I've been at the company for about eight years coming up. Um, prior to uh, this, this uh, role here, which is really focused in the agricultural world, uh, I've been in, you know, industrial marketing positions throughout my career. I was in the computer industry. Uh, I've been in technology products through a good portion of my career in the fire industry, doing things like thermal imagers for uh, firefighters. Uh, so some cool stuff there. Certainly seen my sh- fair share of different products and technologies uh, come about in different industries. So it's been it's been fun, and and <clears throat> being in the ag side is. Um, is good because it's it's it keeps with the theme of of kind of helping um, create a better world. I mean, we're feeding the world, and you know, in the fire business and the public safety business, you're helping keep people safe. So, uh, I kind of like that element of it, trying to try to contribute back something. So, I've always been part of uh, part of organizations that have kind of had a little bit of a larger purpose, and you know, banjo is part of uh, a larger 
business that has kind of that theme as well. We have businesses like Hearst, which uh, make safety equipment for extricating people out of vehicles and things of that nature. So um, Banjo itself, we've been doing this for over 60 years, making basically plumbing products for um, agricultural implements like sprayers, like agricultural sprayers, uh, various tanks and things. There's industrial applications for it, but our primary market is within the agricultural spraying business, which is a business. It's, you know, there's, there's these very expensive pieces of equipment um, that, uh, that farmers buy or applicators buy and then use to apply chemical and fertilizer and things like that. It's almost like banjo liquid handling products buries the lead a little bit <laughs> in terms of just the, the exact type of, uh, of product and, uh, and market that you serve. I think that's a fair comment. I guess I'm curious, John. Like um, you, you've been, you've seen the industrial category from a you know a number of different vantage points, um, and I think uh, sometimes industrial marketers, uh, manufacturers overall, kind of get labeled as being kind of behind the times marketers or. Um, uh, maybe a, 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 if, if not a century behind, at least a decade or two. Have you seen any kind of change in that over the years? Are you feeling that manufacturing is kind of catching up at all? You know, it's 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 an interesting observation, and I felt that as well. It's almost uh, it's almost like um, you're you're second tier in terms of uh, since you're not sort of B to C, you're you're behind the scenes working on products that go into other products a lot of times. Uh, but yeah, it depends on the business. And obviously, uh, you know, I was in the, um, I, I worked in the computer industry and I was at, you know, in a major company that, that had an $8 billion division that sold into businesses, right? So in, in the sense it was business to business, but it was this, you know, very high tech, I guess, if you will, product line. So I guess it depends on the business. It depends on the company. It depends on what you do. Um, I've been fortunate to be in some places where there's been some pretty cool tech and some pretty cool products. So, but yeah, I take that point. There's, it's not quite as glamorous as, uh, you know, a, uh, Microsoft product manager or Google or, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, to be clear, uh, I grew up in rural Western New Brunswick, Canada, the heart of potato belt in Canada, I think. And, uh, if, if uh, you know, and, uh, agricultural spraying technology may not be sexy to some other people, but it, uh, you know, it, it's right up my street. <laughs> right. You're speaking my language now. Well, I, John, the, I, I want to kind of dig into how you think about going to market with Banjo and you know, because the, your category shares a lot of similarities with a wide number of other areas of manufacturing where there is an environmental component to what you do or even the industry you serve in this instance um, that is going to drive some change over time. Like I think of, you know, the industry that I often reference, flexible packaging, uh, certainly sees that in terms of plastic reduction initiatives globally. Agriculturally, of course, um, a fertilizer products and things of that nature that are being applied uh, in industrial agriculture, that's undergoing some change. One might say we could even look down the 
future into the future and say there may be a time when we don't apply those products at all, at least not in their current way. I'm curious, like let's kind of dig into this. Like how do you think about positioning banjo today, uh, knowing that the future is quite dramatically uncertain in that regard? Yeah, I mean it's it's a great question and it gets to the heart of a lot of things. I mean if you break it down to the business problem, we, we have to feed a growing world population. We have less arable land to do it on. Um, and you've got these big implements that are critical to that activity, right? So, uh, you know, small scale, small ball kind of activities with respect to, uh, you know, organics or things of that nature, vertical farming, those are great. And, and, and me personally, I'd love to see those things scale and do better uh, in their own right. But the truth is we've got this business problem to feed the world and that, that is crucial. Now, not all of the corn and soybeans, let's say, go to, to, to feeding people per se. Most, most of it actually is used in biofuels and, and feed, but it's all you know ostensibly related to that particular business problem. And um, so you, you've got to be able to do it at scale. And that's what these big ag OEM manufacturers are, are trying to solve for is how do we take a, a growing population with less land and solve for that equation? That's a tough one. So the, the solution really is getting more productivity out of that same farmland or that decreasing farmland, right? So, and, and that the driver behind that is a term called precision, precision agriculture. Uh, you'll, if you're in the ag space, you're close to the ag space, or even if you've, you want to go on to the, um, uh, the, the CES uh, that took place in January, uh, Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, you can hear about precision technology for agriculture. John Deere was one of the keynote speakers. But in any case, point being, uh, there's a lot of technology that's going into the idea of getting, uh, solving for this problem. How do we use technology to optimize uh, the the you know the number of uh, crops that we get per acre, that's really what it comes down to. I have to think too. I mean, like you said, you know, your product goes into someone else's product and then gets used to create another product that is then sold potentially to consumers, or, or I suppose to another business at that point who then sells that food to consumers. But how how are you? kind of going at that in terms of uh, presenting your solutions to the John Deere's of the world and uh, and thinking about how your spraying technology and your pump technology and other things like that are actually getting used. Like, are, are you um, preparing things for John Deere to be able to talk about that? Or are they kind of coming to you as, as the expert in in that side of things and simply deferring to um, the quality and, and kind of product that, that Banjo produces? Well, you bring up a good point. I think there is another level that we could get to with respect to what you just mentioned. But for the most part, it is just what you said. We are uh, a quality supplier. We are a full line supplier of the products that they need. And we, we offer a lot of technical support and capabilities that uh, those organizations need from an engineering support standpoint or just the breadth of product line so they can draw upon you know thousands of products uh, commercially available and custom products potentially that that they can use to sort of put legos together in their plumbing solutions 
so a lot of it's mechanical. Uh, a lot of it, though, is becoming more technological. We do a lot of um, electronic products that have sophisticated control systems that that interface, again, with sort of this precision ag component of what's going on. So uh, Banjo's business, and there's a story behind Banjo we can get into too, but uh, the, the name, but um, Banjo's business is really evolving from this sort of 20th century, you know, injection molded plastic part business to more of a solution-driven technology-enabled business as we serve these customers. So, Jeff, um, at the heart of your question, are you kind of saying or asking, can, as a component manufacturer, kind of how much can Banjo drive the agenda of agricultural transformation versus having to be responsive to it? I, I think that that's certainly part of it. And as usual, you're able to kind of take the rambling that I have um, spouted and uh, turn it into something a little more coherent. But yeah, I, I think that really is the heart of my question. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. That's You're making me think about something uh, that we probably haven't thought enough about uh, as a business to, to, to change that conversation to lead. Um, I think we've done it in some cases, but as a uh, you know, it, it is an opportunity for organizations like Banjo as sort of, you might call it tier one agricultural suppliers or something uh, to help drive and inform um, strategies or approaches to to these large multi-billion dollar OEM companies that are themselves acquiring companies to try to figure out these problems and guide that, that, that discourse. Most of the time they're con- content with sort of driving their own narratives and, and their own thoughts about how to do it. But there's an opportunity for companies like us, particularly when we come in with real solutions to help uh, frame those conversations. And and that's that's the way to do it, I think. And, and I think, uh, you know, it can probably seem a little daunting to say, oh, well, we're going to try to lead this conversation or show some, some thought leadership in this area. But I think probably if I were giving advice to somebody in your position, thinking about how, if you would obsess about that one component of uh, of, of the overall uh, system of, of feeding uh, the planet and feeding feeding the fields that feed the planet, really, you would obsess about that one component more than anybody else. So if anybody is going to find the, the capacity to innovate in it, it's those people that are that most obsessed with it, I would think. Yeah, I agree. The offer, it uh, just because, uh, of course, the easiest part is saying it. The harder part is doing it. I suppose. <laughs> uh, I guess it's an interesting uh, in, in the agricultural uh, in this kind of grand debate about you know uh, fertilizer, like you say, organics, etc. You know, of course, one of the things is we shouldn't be spraying our fields at all. Some might say, and one of the solutions to that. Um, are uh, seem to be seems to be more genetically engineered food that's not as susceptible to the uh, things that we have to spray for, which in and of itself would carry its own challenges and issues from an environmental perspective, as we've seen with even Monsanto and others. Um, it must be an incredibly complicated space to try to stay on top of. It is. There's a lot to look at, and you do have to have your vision cast sort of wide view as opposed to narrow, although sometimes we have to go very narrow. 
Um, yeah, you might have uh, some bioengineered seeds that all of a sudden don't need fertilizer and, and that changes the landscape uh, in a disruptive standpoint. Or you might have, I mean, drones that have lasers on them that zap weeds before they get to any point of, of maturity, which would be really interesting, right? That both of which would potentially, you know, limit the amount of spraying that would happen. I think, you know, there's this whole question of, and I think I find, I find it fascinating as I think through my career and you can apply it really to a lot of different industries. And that's kind of the concept of incrementalism versus sort of disruptive technologies, right? I mean, you can think of, you know, like the horse and buggy or the railroad being completely disrupted by, you know, cars or planes. And then you can think about, you know, um, other technologies which have been much more incremental. Um, and I, I kind of think of innovation, you know, when there is a disruptor, that changes the game, right? It, it can very much, I mean, there, you know, the horse and buggy was obsolete almost immediately, right? It was basically obsolete. But if you think about innovation and how, when does that pace slow down? It kind of slows down when the product is good enough, right? I mean, being in the PC business, one of the things I always thought about was when you are changing colors of of products and you're discounting wholly, I mean, that's when you know your product's probably good enough for the average user. And I think, um, you know, the iPhone feels like it's there or certain phones feel like, I mean, do we know the difference between the 12, 13 and 14? I'm not sure I could articulate the, the feature value differences between certain of, of the new models of phones. But so I think, you know, that's, that whole concept to me is fascinating in terms of thinking about innovation and the acceleration or deceleration of it. For me, it really comes down to when it's good enough. And uh, the idea of what's incremental, what's disruptive, as, th as we think about the ag business, is, is certainly something that comes into play. And I'll give you one example of incrementalism. Well, there's everything in the precision ag world heretofore has been pretty incremental. We've had, you know, uh, st automated steering and variable rate application, yield monitoring. These things have been sort of adopted at, at, a, at a reasonably slowish pace, if you might you might say, but they're all sort of now been refined and they're incorporated. I mean, farmers, people who are applying chemical or, or working tractors don't really steer the vehicle. They're, they're done uh, with the new machines. They're just done by GPS. And the idea of maybe targeted spraying of weeds, you know, instead of just carpet bombing them with a bunch of, uh, you know, spray nozzles is, is probably the sort of incremental kind of thing that will happen over the next five years, right? As, as opposed to, uh, so that'll help with some of the environmental challenges of, you know, all of this chemical being sprayed and running off into uh, waterways or what have you. So there's work that's being done that I think will be good. And then ultimately, either that becomes so good that it's, it's minimalized or there's, an, again, a, an opportunity for something, um, something disruptive to occur uh, on that, which could be a game changer who knows you know as you um as you talked about that you really paint a picture of um, modern agricultural business that is quite a bit different than what i think a lot of people think of when they think of farming uh, especially folks that aren't particularly close to farming and maybe don't see it for the business that it is um that's been a huge change, I think, really in about the last 20 to 30 years in farming to see that corporatization of it, if you will, 
the fact that you know small farmers it's not really a, a viable business you have to be operating at a at a certain scale and that changes the entire business of agriculture have you guys seen a similar shift on the sales side i'm curious about selling into this space hmm. um that you know probably used to seem you know used to have a lot more uh, i don't know probably was, was a, felt a little bit more down to earth 15 years ago than it feels today i don't know the sales people what, what's happening in that environment what are you seeing <laughs> yeah it, it is and it's a trend that's been going on for a while the the era of the small family farm or the hobby farmer i mean that's not really a that's not really a business that predominates in terms of volume uh, anyway, the, the output that you see is coming from large agribusiness type farms, um, for sure. And that's just, a, that's just, that's just a market factor or market reality. Now there are obviously plenty of numbers of, of, um, of local farms of people that just do it for a little bit of, you know, side hustle or whatever, but yeah, the, it is a big business. And, 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 and even the, even the farmers who I would say are sort of in that, it's it's maybe a family farm, and we know quite a few here at Banjo because we work with them on on a lot of different things, just to test products or whatever. You know, they're they're still at the small end of the scale, but they have to be very adept at finance, at um, you know, inventory control, supply chain management. There's a lot of factors that you have to be a general business manager or you have to outsource that. And it, it creates kind of like any type of company, which is kind of a tweener company. Uh, the family farm has that to grapple with, whereas the scale of a bigger business can sort of optimize that. The family farm has to kind of have maybe somebody in the organization who can kind of do a lot of that. And it's it's a challenge for a business like that. And it's part of the reason I think that, that it, it's just, you know, helped accelerate this this move to bigger, larger scale enterprises. I think it's really interesting. I have two friends that I can think of off the top of my head who both own family farms here in Nova Scotia. And there's no question that the level that they're at and the kind of um, production that they're doing is not at all what we're talking about here. How, you know, are, are you communicating directly to those um, you know, people who are slightly larger than that, um, and kind of giving them the specifications and marketing directly to those groups, or are you primarily going through the OEMs and, and kind of giving them what they need in order to sell the add-ons for, for the farming equipment that way? It's a very interesting question. And I'll answer it this way. Most of our marketing, most of what I would call marketing goes to that end user, uh, whoever, however you want to define it. And we can come back and talk about the definition of it. Not as much through the OEMs. That's more of a sales push channel type thing, right? Um, so that's that's a high involvement touch point. And we don't do quite as much because we, we have a very small community of people that we really need to work with. We tend to pull in through our branding and through, you know, we do some things that pull in um, interest and and and, and that kind of thing directly to the farm community. And we use you know, social media, social media influencers, direct marketing techniques and stuff of that nature. So we do a lot of what you might call traditional traditional branding and, and, and trade show activities where we reach a, a larger group of people um, to sort of continue to keep that brand strong. 
and and the the presence with the OEMs, let's say, is is partly because of the things I mentioned at the at the kind of the beginning of the of the uh, session, but are also because of um, that sort of firewall that we've built with a lot of our end users. That's really interesting to me, and that is not what I thought that answer was going to be. Um, so. I guess I'm curious at the how much, um, you know, how much, uh, uh, how how hard of an ROI lens is placed on that end user marketing. Yeah, it's this is a great question because as somebody who managed a hundred fifty thousand dollar advertising budget, most of it was print in the in the fire business. Very very easy to compute, right? You you've got firefighters and firehouses. And, and putting, you know, advertisements in, in print magazines tended to be a pretty effective way to reach them. Uh, it's a different, it's a different business. And most of the, most of the product that actually goes to an end user farmer is an aftermarket sale, right? Because they're, they're buying equipment and then they're replacing it for whatever reason. Maybe it's worn out or, or what have you. And in some cases, they're creating their own systems and they're buying product that, uh, you know, get plumbing products to build their own systems. But in a lot of cases, they're replacing products that they already have. So it's an interesting, an interesting dynamic. And um, so, we, you know, the techniques that we use uh, are, are a little bit more non-traditional. And I, I use the, the, the idea of social media influencers. That seems to bear a lot of weight. There's there's sort of experts in the business that that have communities of their own that they're showcasing what they do and and sort of embedding into those um, those accounts and really getting you know viral there is is a much better ROI. I haven't calculated it, but I'm convinced of it than putting you know a, a half page add on a specific product in the back of some local farm or regional farm journal. So, um, you know, I mean, I, we could go through the various possibilities of media and, and, and direct marketing or any type of marketing, but I'm convinced that those more modern approaches to reaching this audience is probably more effective. It is interesting though. I mean, as you think about agriculture, that, it's an older market. Typically, it's a little bit more conservative, or maybe a lot, depending on your perspective. Folks aren't necessarily into the latest technology, but there are pockets of, of these influencers, and they they wield quite a bit of, of of influence within within the community. And it seems like that is a really effective way to to get the word out. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm thinking of my my friend Sue, who runs what is effectively a uh, a goat and vegetable farm um, here in Kingston, Nova Scotia. And, you know, a lot of her decisions and uh, trials and tribulations are solved by the farming community that she is a part of. You know, there, there are people who have been at it a long time. They're the ones who are telling her what she needs to do, you know, to solve these things, especially as new and younger people may be coming into that industry. They're, they're definitely going to be looking to the community to support them and uh, and help them out, um, it, it's a complicated, difficult business. And, and in all honesty, I my hats off to anybody who tries because it seems incredibly. Well, but, uh, I mean, and even in big business agriculture, Jeff, or we've seen it in HVAC and other industrial categories, um, 
you know, a social media influencer, it's it's a little easier to stand out. Like, good luck being a TikTok beauty influencer. Like, there's quite a few of those already. But in some of these more uh, industrial categories... Um, Very niche. Uh, well, reasonably niche. There's not as many people competing for that attention. There's still a lot of attention out there. And the opportunity for brands to leverage that and partner with those influencers is considerable. Yeah, I love that. So, John, uh, as we kind of come to the end of the show here, what's, I mean, obviously you're, you're thinking of the disruptions that are coming. Uh, you're planning for that. You're thinking about it. I, you know, the idea of laser guided drones just is like mind blowing and, and super cool. Um, I can't wait to see that when that comes, but, uh, what, what do you, you know, what's next for you and, and, uh, and, and for Banjo? Yeah. That's a great question. I think, you know, what I would tell you is um, it's it's about providing better and more complete solutions to our customers. And and it does start with those big OEM customers in particular because they start everything right. The, the equipment that they buy has to have uh, products that that enable the solutions that they're trying to go after, whether it's drones that shoot lasers or whether it's just very sophisticated variable rate spraying systems. So a lot of it is making sure that we are, we have the developed solutions that can provide them the capability to do what they need to do. And then the second thing I would say is, as an organization, the parent company, IDEX Corporation of Banjo, we're all looking at, you know, the agricultural business and saying, what's, what's next for the company? You know, what else do we want to do beyond say plumbing parts for for agricultural are there other interesting technologies as we think about this idea of precision agriculture what are the things that fit well within the construct and the and the organization of the business that would solve new problems for for again for these oems or potentially for the end users themselves but the oems are certainly uh, driving so much of this activity that it would make sense to think of solution sets that would that we could provide that would solve problems that um, that go to this global challenge of feeding the world. That's what's next is, is technologies and solutions that address that. John, I've really enjoyed uh, chatting about this today. It's been a great, uh, great topic and uh, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's my pleasure guys. And I enjoyed it immensely. So thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the cooler ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff white. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.